You're listening to Felony Podcast on the Startup Radio Network. The Felony Podcast explores ex-felons that have gone on to launch their own startups. We explore the ups, the downs, the behind-the-bar stories with these founders. Felony Podcast airs every Friday morning at 10 a.m. Pacific Time. Well, good morning and welcome to the Felony Inc. Podcast, live from downtown Portland, Oregon, and brought to you by Startup Radio Network. I'm Lad Justison, and each week we interview formerly incarcerated men and women who have turned their lives around and started successful businesses. The original host of our program, of course, Dave Dahl of Dave's Killer Bread, was able to turn his life around and make the best bread in the world. What do you think, Alan? It's the best bread ever, isn't it? I think it is. I must concur. Yes, ma'am. Okay. His turnaround story has inspired many, and we hope that today's guest will do the same. Before I get to our guest... I'd like to just tell everybody that our co-host, Mark Gailey, is uh, in another city promoting his Murder, Inc. tattoo business. Is, is, it, is it with the bus? Is, has no, he got that going? That bus is still parked over at Dave's. I can't believe it. Every time I go by there, there it is. And all it is is one airbag on the back, one of the tires that needs to be fixed. And he could be cruising that thing around everywhere. Rent it out as an Airbnb in this market. Anyway, you know what, Alan? Yeah. Today, we have a really cool guest. What do you think? Fill me in. I'm going to fill you in right now. Right on. Our guest today is Scott Bradley, as is church pastor, the big guy, the kahuna. Scott Bradley, senior pastor, he accepted Christ as his Lord and Savior in 1985. He has been married to Gwenna for 17 years with two beautiful daughters. He has been a pastor, church planter, and recovery minister leader. He is passionately committed to seeing individuals, families, and communities experience God's redemptive love. But you know what, Alon? Yeah. Are you with me today, Alon? I am with you as far as the sun is from the earth. Oh, nice. So, as all of our guests, Scott has uh, a past, formerly incarcerated. So, what we're going to do is we're going to get into that. So, like pre-Christ, we can call that. B.C. B.C. Before Christ. So, tell us a little bit about, you know your lifestyle as growing up and, you know, what started getting you in trouble? Yeah, sure. That's a great place to start. It's an honor to be here with you guys. And uh, I start out with a rough childhood. And uh, I think my story is actually multi-generational. It started with my father, who was a Vietnam vet, came back in 73 and actually killed a man in a barroom brawl when I was six months old. And uh, there was a lot of domestic violence in our home. My dad was sentenced to 10 years in OSP. I'm from uh, Klamath Falls, down in southern Oregon, small town down there. And uh, he came back um, very broken, a lot of trauma. And uh, You mean when he got out of prison? When he, got, when he came back oh, from Nam. From Nam, yeah. You know, I, I was just a baby back then, but when he came back, you know, 
I joke around with a lot of people. I was in the joint, you know, at six, seven months old visiting my father. You know, he was out at the dairy farm and that sort of thing and uh, grew up visiting him there. Didn't have a father in the home. And when he was released from prison, came back and uh, continued that type of lifestyle. Domestic violence with my mom, um, broke, you know, you know, it goes with all that, broke all the bones in her face. My mom eventually had to leave him or she felt she'd be the next victim. Right. And you, were you his victim as well? um, Somewhat. Uh, They divorced shortly after he got out of prison, so I didn't spend a whole lot of time with him. And his story, I I would say, um, is very similar to Dave Dahl's and others here. In and out of prison my whole life. I I didn't know my father, like, personally, until he was 50 years old, and there's more to that story as well. So I grew up with multiple stepdads, boyfriends, fathers in and out of the house. My mom's been married multiple times. And it was actually her third husband that was a uh, former Baptist preacher. She didn't know at the time they met. He was playing in a band. He had, he had kind of turned, turned his back on Christ. And, but it was through him that we started going to church as a kid. And um, he's the one that actually led me to the Lord. 11, 12 years old, I gave my life to Christ, like you mentioned earlier. During that time, um, when my mom was single, uh, I grew attached to several men. You know, there was one guy that I really grew attached to, and I, and I really wanted as a father figure. But he didn't want to marry my mom uh, due to the fact she had kids. I have two twin sisters as well, and he, he, he bounced. And uh, also, uh, my uncle has was sexually abusing me as a kid. And so... If you just kind of put it all together, it was just a very, very difficult childhood, very dysfunctional. There was some religion in there. I turned my back on God after that. You know, if you don't resolve those underlying issues, they follow you. Oh, absolutely. So because of all this, you know, and, you know, a lot of the guests that we've had on here before have similar backgrounds. Um, I do too. Dave does. Um, So all this stuff that's going on in your life led you to... The drugs. Full-blown drug addiction, alcohol addiction, sexual addiction, anything you can obsess and be impulsive over, I've ran through it, probably, probably like everyone else that's been on here. And uh, that, it, it just really, for me and others, just numbing the pain that I was carrying, the trauma, trying, how do you process these things? I did not understand love. I did not understand what family was. You know, I, I idolized my father even though he wasn't there, even though he... Has, has, I think, 17 felony convictions, my father, you know, and it's, it's very difficult to be raised in that environment and know who you are. So I struggled with who I was, struggled with addiction. I was in um, rehab multiple times as a kid, in and out of juvie, convicted of my first felony at 17, spent my 18th birthday in the Klamath County Jail, you know, and just a repetitive, addictive relapses just throughout my entire, through my uh, early 20s, that's kind of when my life started to change in a different direction. So tell us about that. What, what was that moment? You know, because it's cool because all the guests we have on, there was like this one defining moment where they finally just said, you know what, this isn't working. I got to do something different. Uh, so sometimes it's a, it's a, you know, a cumulative thing where it just builds up to a certain point, and they finally realize, hey, you know, this isn't working for me. 
if you think about it, you know, none of us were very good criminals because mm-hmm. we all got caught. Mm-hmm. So that wasn't a good lifestyle. So what was that moment for you? I believe the... It was different seasons, lad. Um, I wrestled with addiction, was completely lost through my early 20s, and I, I, would, I would do better for a while. There was a cycle of relapse, do good, sabotage, relapse, do good, sabotage. And a, a turning point uh, was in my early 20s. I moved up to Seattle, um, and I took a job with a phone company. They, 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 they ran my background and actually... Somehow, somehow I passed the background check and, and I was hired on to a phone, the phone company up there. And I never had the concept of a career or like more than a day-to-day job or running drugs or, you know, ripping people off. Like this door was open for me up there through a personal friend and a connection. And I started working for the phone company up there and I started hanging out with these guys. It was a different culture. These guys owned homes. These guys had a retirement. They had benefits. They talked to me about buying multiple homes up on uh, Lake Washington, and it kind of changed the way I viewed myself and I viewed the potential of commitment and career. So the first time, you it's like hope. Yeah. First time. And uh, so they start, you know, the ball started running at that point, started mm-hmm. rolling. So um, you got a job. You got a place up there. Mm-hmm. So where did it go from there? Uh, that, that was back in the mid-90s, 97. And um, from there, things started heading a different direction. But I, I, I was still using, drinking, you, you know, functioning in my addiction. And that eventually led to uh, one year into that career, beating up a couple of cops in my house, drunken in a drunken blur, a, a totally crazy story. And I ended up in jail and I thought I was going to lose it all again. I, I thought for sure with my, my record with violent, you know, um, convictions from the past, once again, I thought I messed up my life. I mean, how many times did I end up in jail, end up in relapse, end up somewhere and then blaming myself that morning, just thinking how... How did I do this? How could I do this to myself again? And then, uh, fortunately, I, I w- because I had a decent job, I was able to hire an attorney, and he kind of helped w- get me through that. I got six months work release, and I was able to keep that job. But that kind of opened my eyes that I needed to do something different. It still wasn't the whole religious piece. Even though I'm a pastor, I don't consider myself like a real religious, churchy kind of guy. It's, I think, you know, you just... Love God and point people to Jesus. Love on people, and if if God wants to change them, go for it. If not, we still just need to love people for who they are. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. And so, um, that's that's how we uh, also uh, that's the culture of our church as well. So, anyways, out of that, um, about three months later, I met my wife, who's currently my wife. You, you said Gwena. seven, Gwena, my wife, and uh, she was actually living down here in Portland. And my sisters, who love me very much, were like, we need to hook you up with Gwenna as one of her best friends because she's a good <laughs> Christian girl. She'd be really good for you, Scott. And I'm like, is she good looking? <laughs> I mean, I, I like the fact that she's a Christian and whatever, but, you know, is, is she good looking? Because that was my mindset back right. then. And then eventually we started dating. 
And then I moved her up to Seattle, and uh, we got married wow. in 99. So we're celebrating 20 years in about three weeks here. Was she good looking? She was, and she still is. <laughs> well, still you know, that's, that's one of the reasons why, you know, I don't date Alon, because you know, he's not that good looking. What? I don't know. He's all right. <laughs> I, th- I thought maybe it was because just you'd be all nervous around taking me around or something. Well, no, I, I'd be proud. Oh, I'd be proud to I show would. you around town, sure. Alon. Well, thank you. I'll take you up on it then. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> well, you know what? Um, we're probably getting close, Alon, to a little bit of an uh, advertisement break. Uh, we've got to pay our sponsors, so uh, we'll be right back. CPA Dudes, where accounting is never boring. Their price is not based on time. Instead, customers decide what to pay them. They don't charge you for sending invoices, phone calls, emails, texts, or meetings. They just get the damn job done. Find them at cpadudes.com slash startupradio. Tell them Dave and Lad sent you, and we'll send you a very special surprise. Seriously, we will. Wow. What's the surprise all on, do you know? Has anyone cashed in on the surprise yet? You know what? I'd like to know. If anybody's cashed in on that surprise from Startup Ruby, let us know what it is. We'd be kind of curious. I'm ready to be surprised. I am too. Well, you know, we're back to our guest, uh, Scott Bradley. That's kind of a cool name, isn't it, all on? Scott Bradley. It's like the al- Superman alias or something. Mm. What's yeah. your name? My name's Scott Bradley. You've got to say it like that. <laughs> Scott Bradley. Mm-hmm. Saving Super the world. Superhero. <laughs> All right, Scott. Well, let's get back to our, our story. Very interesting. Good job so far. Thanks. So you meet your gal, Gwenna. Mm-hmm. And uh, some things started changing. She's mm-hmm. Christian. Mm-hmm. You had experienced that previously in your life. Mm-hmm. And so I got a feeling that something kind of magical is going to happen here now. So let's hear it. Yeah. So as I shared previously uh, with my father, I didn't have a relationship with him. And at the time when, when we were to be married, he was uh, down in Texas on the run for, he had like uh, 656 months sitting over his head. So he was down in Texas. Here uh, in Oregon? Uh, West Coast, Washington, Oregon, Idaho, California. He, oh, you know, wow. He, he's, he doesn't he, discriminate on no, which, no, which he, state he does a crime. And so he's down there, and we were we were estranged, and so I called him up, and I hadn't spoke to him for a while. This is an interesting part of the story, and uh, said, hey, will you come up for your, you know, my wedding? And uh, I'd really like you to be there. You know, you're my dad, and so... He, uh, he rode a Greyhound up from Texas, ran through Fresno. I have a sister down there and picked up some meth down there and showed up down here in Troutdale, uh, out in Troutdale at the Motel 6. And uh, I was to be married that Saturday. He rolled into town on Tuesday. And I knew the type of man he was. But my wife, Gwenna, you guys, you got to understand, she's never, her background and mine are the complete opposite. Church five times a week, you know, just never experienced all this stuff. And I'm like, hey, you want to meet my dad? You know, did, did she know that about you when, when you guys got together? She knew that about me, and, uh, but I, I was on a different trajectory at that time. But she knew I had a crazy past and all this stuff, but I was on a different path, you know, with, mm-hmm. with the job and things were going well. And I told her, you know, I want to be a good husband. I want to be a, a, a father someday. You know, I, I want to be a man of God. I really didn't know how to do that, and that comes a little later. But the story with my dad, he um, he shows up, and he's gacked out, out of his mind, and I take Gwena down there, 
And uh, we knock on his room, and, and he opens the door, and then I can tell right away he's he's been up for a few days, and he's, he's not thinking straight. And I and I go to introduce. So the first thing that happens, he tackles me onto the bed, and we're wrestling around. You know, for me that was just kind of normal behavior. And, and Gwena was kind of standing at the entryway of the door, and he turns to her and says, "Do you know where he came from?" And Gwen is like, "No, <laughs> he can't. He's just a drip out of the end of my dick." Oh, wow! And she teared up. She's never heard. She's like, this is my father. This is my future father-in-law. And it's like, and I'm like, are you kidding me? And so she actually just turned away and walked down back to the car. And then I was in there with my dad for a few minutes. I said, Hey, just meet with, meet me up at the bachelor party on Thursday night. That was on Tuesday. So I went down to the car and Gwen is like, your dad is not coming to our wedding. (laughs) This guy is not gonna be, because her parents are the most legalistic. I mean, the conservative as far as you can get and so I try to ease her mind no no he'll be okay you know all the dysfunction that comes within our families like that and so we had this bachelor party and all my friends came up from southern Oregon all the different places I lived and my dad was there and the bottom line is we went partying all night we had a couple RVs and we ended up at the Acropolis and uh, we were taking pictures inside and uh, that's frowned upon obviously um (laughs) <laughs> and a bouncer grabbed me by the throat, and my dad said, don't touch my son. This is Thursday night. I'm to be married on Saturday. And it turned into a huge barroom brawl. And uh, eventually the cops came, and we were lined up outside. And there was like 40 of us, 40 me and my buddies. And the officer said, officers pointed at me, and they pointed at my dad and said, those are the two perpetrators. And so they threw us in the back of the car and took us down to the Justice Center. Oh, man. So it's a.m. Friday morning. I'm to be married on Saturday. My dad has 656 months or the rest of his life, basically. And he's, uh, he got picked up. They released me, and they kept him, and he went back to prison out of that moment. That was a moment where he spent uh, probably, I think it was four to five years, again, in the, locked up out of, because he came up for my bachelor party. And so I got married the, on Saturday. He, he sat in Inverness, and then he went out to Airway Heights Correctional Facility up in Spokane and sat there for a few years. And through that process, my dad became a Christian in prison. He did? Yeah. Was that something that you had a part in? No. I had written him off. Yeah. No one was going to change my dad, you know. Yeah. The pain associated with the whole life of not having a father, even though I wanted a relationship with him, I had heard it before. Yeah. You know, every, every, everybody times. finds Jesus in prison. And, oh, you know, yeah. Even, as, even while he was there, he was writing me letters and, and all this stuff, and I would just discard them, you know. And um, so I continued my life. And along the way, my mom also remarried. So she had been married three times. And she finally decided after her third husband left her that uh, this isn't working. I keep choosing the same type of men. And so she eventually uh, started dating this other guy, Gary, who she's been married to now for 22 years. Wow. And uh, they were both Christians at the time, so their faith is what draw, drew them together. And they decided both of them had been divorced and married a couple times and decided we're going to do it right this time. So they walked in purity, you know. And I saw these changes in my mom. She wasn't a doormat anymore, no longer enabling everyone, but she, like, had clear boundaries. 
became this person that was like strong. And then I saw Gary loving her and, uh, you know, not to get too biblical on here. I don't know how, how far you want to take that, but, but the Bible says it. that uh, men are supposed to love their wives as Christ loved the church. They're supposed to lay down their lives for them. That's like the way we're supposed to live as husbands. And I saw Gary do that with my mom. Right. And I've seen him do first it for, time. for 22 years. For the first time, I've seen somebody truly love my mom as she deserves. Right. And it completely changed our family. Totally deserves that. I know. That's the way my mom, too. We always felt that way about my mom, you know. And when it didn't work out, uh, you know, there was six boys and one girl in our family. So the times that it didn't work out, the guy was swiftly exited from <laughs> my right. mom's life, you know. See ya. <laughs> mm -hmm. But, yeah, yeah, you're right. And uh, so that laid a, a foundation down for you. Uh, essentially, it was someone we could turn to. So I got married. So, so set the scene. My, my dad's in, in the prison sending me letters that his life has changed and all these things. I still haven't believed it yet. And then uh, I got married, told my wife I'd go to church, told her I want to be this, this man of God and all these sort of things. But eventually, within just a few months of coming back from our honeymoon, I was back to my old, old habits, old ways, and not treating her as she should back, be treated. Back to drugs? Some drugs, drinking, gone every weekend. That's I didn't go all the way full bore back into like living on the streets again, but functioning in my addiction, still had a job. Uh, spending my time away though, not not honoring her as she should be honored, you know, and that she expected from me. Mm -hmm. And so, eventually, that led to about a year into our marriage. One afternoon was kind of a defining, the real defining point. We were arguing in our front room of our home. Um, I grabbed her and threw her on the couch, and I was just laying into her. You calling her every name in the book, using profanity, and I'm just like treating her, you know, as a loving husband treats his wife, right? <laughs> just kidding. I'm just like going to town, and I look up in the mirror, and I see my dad's reflection. Like there was just this defining moment where I, I was treating my— there was a mirror right on the wall, right, where I was yelling at her and just laying into her, and I could just see this angry— person and it was my dad and it was me I saw reflection of my father's me in the mirror and I just broke and I said Gwena I need to get help I, I can't control this anymore I don't know what I'm completely out of control my life is unmanageable you know all that sort of stuff and she she agreed <laughs> obviously she oh, agreed yeah. that I needed hell some yeah. help You're scared the hell out of her I, I did because she's a you know she's a petite um beautiful woman and I did not treat her as she should be treated so uh, I called my mom and Gary the only ones I knew who had actually turned the corner you know they were doing it right and then I turned to them and they took me out they took us out on their love or on their their love boat on their <laughs> sailboat the love boat Captain Stubing the took me out on the love boat yes that's kind of what it was though so they took us out on the the Willamette on his sailboat and basically Gary told me look Scott you need to surrender your life, you need to put Jesus first in your life and get involved and do the things that that you know you should do. Get involved in the men's groups, get back into recovery, those sort of things. And I listened to him, and it very quickly uh, got clean and sober. You know, clean, quit drinking, quit using all that stuff. Uh, pornography and masturbation was a big issue for me as well, and gambling, like all the you know. 
I had to kind of just really press pause on all those types of behaviors and really focus on Christ. And it was amazing how my life turned in a completely different direction. And within six months, I was getting opportunities to go speak at churches, you know, all these different things. I, I was leading Bible studies and men's groups and with a local church. And within a year or so, we had our first kid. We, have a daughter, we had a daughter who's now 16. And that was such a blessing because the greatest dream I had for my life was to be a father that I never had and to have a family and be present in their lives and be a husband, experience this life that I never experienced because it, it all seemed like a dream to me. And, and God was handing that to me. And then eventually um, I went to Bible college on the side. It was kind of Oregon College of Ministry. And I started feeling like God was doing greater things in my life besides just working for the phone company. Now, the phone company was great, right? It, it helped kind of redirect my life. I was close to making six figures, benefits, the whole nine. You know, it was, it was a, I could have just followed that path and lived the American dream, but God had a bigger plan for my life than even that. And so uh, we had our second daughter, and about that time, my dad was released from prison. And uh, I had gotten the letters, gotten the calls, and um, I didn't believe it, so I... I decided I'm going to drive up to Airway Heights Correctional Facility about two months before he was released and, and go visit him. I let him sit in prison for four years. Without going to see him? Without going to see him. Um, took a couple of his calls. Even though God was doing a great thing in my life, I still doubted that he could do it in my dad's life. You guys know what, what I mean on that. And so I went up to Airway Heights Correctional Facility and uh, went in for our first meeting. It was in the mess hall, you know, and they brought him in through the yard. And as he entered into the, the mess hall there, uh, I could just tell he was a different person. He had a different countenance. He, I mean, he was like glowing. And when I went up and embraced him, we just hugged each other and I just cried and cried and cried. And he just said, I love you, I love you, I'm so sorry. And we sat down at the table that day for three hours and we didn't talk about all the things from the past and all the stuff we, you know, like the old, those war stories and that we're, he was, we were talking about how God had changed our lives. I was telling about his grandkids. We were, he was telling me how he reads the Bible 16 hours a day and he led the, these inmates to the Lord. And he's telling me all these great things. And I'm just completely blown away that my dad, this hardened criminal had been completely restored from the inside out, mm -hmm. literally from the inside out right. within his own heart, but inside the walls, you know? And so, uh, he was to be released in a couple months, and I, I went back for a second visit, and same thing. Mm -hmm. And so I was so excited for him to be released. We were going to reconcile. I was finally going to have my dad in my life. Uh, God was doing great things in my life, and uh, we eventually, I went back home, and then uh, we helped plant a church. My wife and I went and helped plant a church because we were getting more and more involved in sharing the hope that we had found with others. I believe if God, if God could do it for me and look at what he's doing with my dad and my mom and my entire family, like this reconciliation that's, you can't deny that. You, you can deny the existence of God and Christ, but when you see him, when you see faith in Christ transform a family and do the sort of thing that he's doing in my family, how could I keep it to myself? Mm -hmm. And so I really felt like that was a message we wanted to share, that God takes our mess and turns it into our message. And it's a big part of who I am even today as we pastor the church, like part of using our story 
to bring God glory, using our story to give others hope. That's, that's the key in all of that. And so uh, my dad was released, and uh, he wanted to come stay with us. And I had a wife and two small kids, and my wife was like, Hell no. Because <laughs> she remembers the old, the old All she knows old is what man. she saw that night. She's like, he ain't staying. Even though I told her everything I just told you, and I'm telling her how great this is, she's like, he's not. We need to see some proof. Like, out. Show us you can make it on the, on the outside, not just prison religion. And right. so he he released to some work release program up in Vancouver or something and then he he's calling me up and he he wanted to stay with us and i was like well i love you dad but this isn't going it's not the right timing so he decided he was going to go back to Klamath falls and i was like please don't go back to Klamath falls cuz that's where all all of our roots were back in our hometown you know where all the trouble was and everything and he said no i feel like i'm supposed to go back to Klamath falls and i said okay I'll be praying for you, but I just really did not want him to go back down there. So he went back to Klamath. Next thing I know, I'm, I'm getting a call from him that he's uh, working for parole and probation down there. What? My dad, really? My dad's down there. Uh, he was known as the real deal. His name's Pete Bradley. Uh, Judge Roxanne Osborne approved it. Uh, he, he started taking inmate work crews out. Started taking inmate work crews out, and he called it his van, his bus ministry. But basically, he was the supervisor over inmates, taking them out, cleaning, you know, you know, right. the, the roads, the side of the roads, all and that sort of stuff, weed whacking, and uh, all that good stuff. Mm-hmm. Right. Well, you know what, Scott, we got to take another break. Interesting story. Let's get back to your dad when we get back. We'll be right back. Today's episode of the Felony Inc. podcast is brought to you by Publicize, a deconstructed PR subscription service which generates effective visibility for your business. Publicize handles all communications with the media and any content required to do this, such as press releases, editorial pitches, etc. And they offer a wide range of PR products and abilities out of which you can construct the PR package right for the future of your business what do you think scotty i got a pretty good dj voice there and i would oh man uh, definitely professional did you hear that all on that ad i just read off i did because i edited it to make it sound that good my friend is that how it got that good a little bit you're editing (laughs) well now i'm really going to be proud to sport you around town all right man the story is getting good so let's get back to your dad. So your dad gets out of prison, goes back down to Klamath Falls. You're afraid of that because, you know, that's the way I was. I was afraid when I got out of prison to go back to my old digs. Mm-hmm. But the thing is, is I knew in my mind that I had changed and that I didn't really want to go back to those old hangouts and those old people that I knew. You know, I was in there for 20 years, and, of course, all those people had just wherever, you know. Mm-hmm. So your dad goes back down to Klamath Falls, goes down there. Now, tell, tell me how, I, you explained it a little bit, but our listeners like to know, because, you know, there's, our listeners like to know that there's hope and that there's change and that, that, you know, they have a dream that is possible. 
Your dad didn't even really know what was going on, but he got back down there. I'd like to hear how he eventually got in front of the judge, and they approved him to go to work for the, what is it, the county? Yeah, uh, Klamath County. Yeah. Uh, it was through his sobriety and recovery and active recovery and his involvement in the community. They didn't just put him right to work. You know, there was a, a period of time where he proved his faithfulness to his new life, just like you were saying, that he was a changed person. And it actually started through serving in the jail, the Klamath County Jail. There's he was a, a volunteer? He's a volunteer with the um, uh, jail ministry down there. Right. You know, it's like a jail ministry where they go in and, and, and minister the inmates. And his faithfulness in going in there and ministering the inmates, what was unique about his story uh, within that, that ministry was that he was one that had actually... He had the story that all the inmates could relate to, you know, that all the prisoners could relate to, where the rest of the, most of the people within that ministry were normies. And, you know, my dad came in with, with a story that they could relate to, and he was just so effective in working with these guys. And his faithfulness in the jail is what led to one of the POs offer, saying, hey, Pete, we think you might be the person to go run the, the... The work crew. The work crew, yeah. He's supervisor of the work crew. So it actually led, it, it came through his PO. So, and, and I tell that, that when I speak, you know, I, I recently spoke at McLaren, you know, the boys present down here, and they asked me, what is the best thing we can do when we get out? And I'm like, listen to your PO, you know, and they don't want to hear that. But anyways, but my dad, it was through the building trust, credibility through his PO in the county, which led to a job, which is unheard of. Yes. Like with his story, like, like it's just completely unheard of. And he did that until he retired just a few years ago. Well, let me tell you a little story about myself. I hate to make this about me, but it's right yeah. on the same lines as what you're talking about. So Dave, I worked for Dave from, for five years when I got out. Then Dave sold the business. And during that time, I went down to Eugene. That's where I'm from, uh, to be with my mom. She's getting old. And I got a job at a place down there called Sponsors. It's kind of like Bridges to Change up here in Portland, mm -hmm. uh, but it's some more... Uh, you know, it's more modern facility down there. And I became a case manager down there. And at one point, they, um, the parole officers had this big training session. And they asked if any of our, the counselors there would like to join them in this, in, you know, in their training. We thought, hey, that's a good idea. And I was one of the guys that was picked, and so I went down there. Well, when I first got out of prison, I paroled to Eugene, and I had a PO. His name was Mark. A really good guy, you know. I, he knew I, right off the top, he just knew that I was ready for change, and I was not going to be any problem. I was going to do what I was supposed to, and I was going to get on with life. So we're in this training thing, and right when they lined us up, and they counted off one, two, three, one, two, three, one, two, three, and then the, the ones would sit at one table, the twos at another table, and they had this training session, and so there was me and two other POs in this little group, three together. One of them was uh, the observer, one of them was the PO, and one of them was the, the client, you know, the mm -hmm. ex-felon. Mm -hmm. And what they would do is they did this little training thing, and it would, each time we did it, then it would switch around. So the next person would be the observer and so forth and so on. So guess what? At one point during that training session, I was my PO's. P.O. Oh, man. Isn't that cool? Yeah. Isn't that ironic? 
I was the PO in that situation. And the advice and stuff that I gave to in that whole thing, they were like, wow, that's good. Because I listened to my PO. Yeah. So anyway, let's get back to your dad. So what's he doing now? Same thing. Same thing? 17 years later. 17. Has never gone back. Wow. Celebrate. He's celebrating 20 years clean and sober on on August 5th. My, You know, my, my anniversary is August 7th. Wow. Because... The last time he was using was at my pastor's. The party. day he got busted. So when we celebrate our anniversary, my dad's also celebrating his clean day. That's so, awesome. But he's never turned back. He married along the way. He's still the, he's the president of the jail ministry now, down there, basically the chaplain of the Klamath County Jail. Wow. Over the years, we go in together. You know, I try to make it down there. You know, once in a while, we go in. And with the father-son... You just don't see that father-son no. going in and ministering to inmates. We've been into, you know, OSP together. We've done different things. And uh, you don't see that type of reconciliation. You see a lot of no. fathers and sons sitting in county to jail, county right. together, right. down there and in other places. But it's a very unique story in terms of what God has done in our lives. And so I'm very thankful for what uh, the Lord has done. He, he gave me my dad back. and uh, He didn't give you your dad back. He gave you what... A real dad bag. That's right. Yeah. And uh, a godly dad. That's right. And one that um, has reconciled with all of his children. I, uh, I, have a, nice. I have a brother and I have some other sisters and they've all reconciled with him. And it's been a beautiful story. So what is your mom? How, how is your relationship with your mom and, and your, your dad? My mom and dad have completely reconciled. Something that would have been impossible before Christ. Isn't that Christ. crazy? And uh, my dad, he, one of the things, when you're from a small town, my mom's parents, the family trauma that happened just because of their relationship, the domestic violence, the abuse, um, there were other things that happened within the family where my grandparents had a hatred towards my father for many years. And even towards me as a young kid, I always wondered why my grandparents on that side didn't want me around because because of your dad. Because of my dad, you know. Yeah. And so it got so bad that my grandfather, my mom's father, bought a firearm and carried it around because he was so terrified of, of my dad in wow. that small town back in the day. And the right. He had a right to be. And uh, another cool story through this process, my dad wanted to ask for their forgiveness during this, you know, this is like 10, 10 12 years ago. And he'd drive by their house with his work crew and have them shovel the snow for them, not even asking them, just started serving them. Go shovel the snow, started serving them. And they kept wondering, who is that out there? And it was my dad, you know, and he'd go by year after year. And then he started asking God to, to show him the right time to go ask for forgiveness. My dad was terrified to go because they were, you know, he's trying to make, find the right time to make amends right. with my mom's side of the family. And so... He even went to their church a couple times, sat in the back row, because they were, you know, they were these conservative Christians. Every Sunday, 50 years, they were at the same church. And my dad, he um, went and sat in the church, never had the courage. And then finally one day, he went and knocked on the door. And my grandparents were at home. And my grandparents, they were introverts. They were not social people. The only people that visited was the pastor from the church, right. the preacher. Right. So there's a knock on the door, and my grandma's like, Johnny, because that's my grandpa's name, Johnny, the preacher's here. Oh, nice. And my, grandfa and my grandfather goes, and it's my dad. 
because he was a Did preacher. he recognize him at first? Absolutely. Yeah. And my dad said, can we talk? I, I want to ask for your forgiveness. And my grandfather could have closed the door. Right. But he opened the door and let him in. My grandmother had been sick, and my dad came in in their living room that day. He asked for their forgiveness. They forgave him. My dad prayed for my grandmother because she was ill at the time, and they held hands and cried. And my grandparents were not emotional people. But that day was a healing moment for our entire family. My grandparents were set free from the anger, the resentment, the pain that they carried all those years because of that forgiveness, because of what my dad believed God had forgiven him. He wanted to continue that message on to others, and it it completely transformed our family. Both of my grandparents died at peace. So how was your relationship with your grandparents? Great. Were you able to go see him and... After, you know, yeah, of course, uh, through the changes that are happening in my life, our family has been completely reconciled. I, I can't, it's just an amazing, it's a miracle. Wow. What God has done. So tell me a little bit about the As Is Church. And I, I went there a couple of weeks ago and I was fortunate. I, I met you there. Yeah. Uh, one of your one of your guys, uh, co-pastors mm-hmm. or whatever, um, was preaching, mm-hmm. did a great yeah. job. Um, everybody was welcome. They welcomed me there, and, and I was able to, to come in and feel at home. Mm-hmm. How did you get into that? How did, how did that happen? Uh, sure. Um, like I said earlier, I went to Bible college, and then uh, eventually I resigned from the phone company back in 2007 and went on staff with a large church here in Portland, Abundant Life Church. One week, I had eight, I had eight years Check this out. I had eight years clean. I ran ministries for the church, all this stuff, and most of it was in recovery, restoration, counseling. Within one week of leaving a career and going full throttle into ministry as a pastor, we had a pastoral retreat, and I relapsed. Oh, With wow. a group of pastors. They were all drinking. Basically, I drank compromised everything I was about because I wanted acceptance with this group of pastors at this oh. new job. I left everything and I was in basically a functioning relapse for a couple of years at, at that in that position. The church was successful. All the success in ministry and all this stuff, but inside I was dying because I knew it wasn't right for me. I mean, I didn't go completely off the deep end. I kind of drank in a functional way, but for me it wasn't right. You guys know what I'm saying? It wasn't yes. right for me and eventually I resigned. Well, you know, that's with me I know myself. Mm-hmm. I quit everything because I know that one thing is not one thing. It always leads to a massive amount of destruction. Right, and the once an addict, always an addict kind of thing, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, and, and at that time, you know, literally hundreds, if not thousands, of people I was ministering to as a kind of the recovery pastor. And then I'm drinking again. Yeah, that's crazy. <laughs> I got people coming up, what are you doing? I'm like, oh, no, no problem. And I basically delegated all those roles to other people, and I stayed in my addiction for probably three years. And I eventually resigned, went back to the phone company, and entered into a really dark place, very dark, to the point where my wife, and this is back, this is about nine years ago, ten years ago, my wife said, I can't have you around us. And this was after her, this is after everything I've told you. Like all these great things, I relapsed, went in a hole. My wife said, I can't have you around me or the kids. You're, you're completely out of control. And uh, I was just in such a dark place because I thought I had compromised everything once again 
because I used, even though there was success and all this stuff inside, it was just dying. And so eventually I went. When Gwyneth said, we're done, like, I can't have you around us or the kids, I said, hold on, because then I had lost control. When she finally said, we're done, I didn't have control of the situation. This is how I look back on it. And I thought about it for about a week or two and, you know, was drunk pretty much just living in my active addiction there. And I realized I need some help. So I reached out to my friend, Miguel, who's a counselor, and he helped me basically pull my head out. That's how I'd say. He kind of helped me see that pride had become an issue, that I was stuck, I was isolated, I was broken. And uh, on September 11th, 2010 was the last time I've used or drank or anything. So my clean date now is back to... 9, 10, 11, or September 11th, 2010. Sweet. And out of that, we kept, we didn't get involved with the church because it kind of burned out on church and all this stuff. And so we kept meeting with a group of friends, you know, getting together and studying scripture once in a while. But uh, we weren't really connected to the church. I was working back at the phone company. And then eventually we started a Bible study and we tried to figure out how, where are we going to go to church? We, we need to be involved with other people. And we, we went around, and we couldn't find any churches that we truly felt connected to. So I felt like God was saying, go start a church. There was no mother church. I've always been kind of an entrepreneurial spirit anyway, as a, a pioneer, you know, doing these sort of things. And I went back to our small group, which was basically about 10 or 12 people. None of them were – they were all kind of rough – you know, construction workers, fishermen, tax collectors, you know, the type of people that Jesus started the church with, <laughs> foul mouth, you know, like no real experience. Yeah. I just said, you guys, I feel like God's calling us to change the world, but it's going to look different. It needs to be a church that's safe for addicts, a church that's safe for anyone to come, the broken, the hurting, the lost, those people that often feel like outsiders in church, we want them to be the insiders. I didn't know what it was going to be called or whatever, and I said, would you guys pray about this? And they did. And finally, they all said, basically agreed, like, let's go start a church. And so through that, we started As Is Church. Wow. Well, with that, Scotty, you know what? We're, I, I can't even believe that we've gone through an, our whole hour. But um, why don't we do this? Why don't you um, give us any info on how to contact your church, how to contact you, or whatever you want to give us right now? Sure. We have, uh, we have two campuses here in Portland. We have one on 68th and Holgate. Uh, it's the Hope Center down there, and it's a, it's a center of hope and healing. We have fitness, church, for feeding the homeless. We're going out on the streets. And then we have a campus out in Rockwood, 182nd and Stark. Uh, that meets on Sunday nights at 5. We have a Thirsty Thursday service down in 68th and Holgate, which is basically recovery church. It's kind of a church service that has a recovery vibe to it. And then we have all these different um, outreaches and ministries to the city. Wow. Will Scott? Yeah, what about online? Do you have uh, Instagram, Facebook, stuff like that? We do. We have online, all social media. Just look up asischurch.com. We have Facebook, asischurch as well. And then uh, Instagram and uh, Twitter, we have it all. Wow. We got it all in, all on. What do you think? That was awesome. Thanks for sharing your story, man. Well, of course, we'd like to thank our producer, Mark Grimes, his sidekick, Michael Coates, and our undernourished sound guy, Alon.
We'll see everybody next week. Have a great weekend. You're listening to the Startup Radio Network. Listen, learn, launch. 10% of our gross revenue goes directly to women entrepreneurs in developing countries around the world through Kiva's microfinance program.